So today, we get back into the, the narrative of Mark in chapter 7, where the Pharisees and scribes are back, bringing leaders from Jerusalem to undermine Jesus' authority and way. This is a scene of confrontation, like a great story where the big guns have to be brought in to deal with a problem. Right? Think of the story of the Lord of the Rings, the great Nazgul, the Black Riders, seeking out Frodo and the ring. Or maybe the movies that, with like Matrix, where the agents step in to interview Mr. Anderson. Right? Or think of, better yet, Star Wars, right? when the Sith Lord sends in Darth Vader to deal with the rebels. And the great anthem of Darth Vader plays, right? Bam, 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 bam. We all know it, right? Great confrontation music, right? Wonderful. Sometimes even when I come home and I've forgotten to do the dishes or put up the laundry, right? Bam, bam, bam. If you struggle with confrontation, not really. Uh, we don't have any confrontation in our house, right? No. Um, but maybe it's a good music to play if you struggle to express your, your confrontation, right, with others, your roommates or your spouse. Not really, but maybe. Give it a shot. Let's see what happens. The, the Pharisees and scribes are not here to dialogue with Jesus, but they're, they're here to undermine his purpose. In chapter 7, verse 5, they question Jesus. Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands. In other words, in chapter 6, at the very end, right before this section, all the disciples and Jesus were in the marketplace, and everyone was bringing sick people to Jesus, and Jesus was putting his hands on them and healing them. And the marketplace is full of defiled objects, unclean situations. And you've all just come from there, and now you're eating without following the tradition of the elders of washing yourself and purifying yourself before you eat. Now, I'm sure you all didn't wake up this morning saying, I can't wait to hear about the tradition of the elders. But we need to say a quick word. The tradition of the elders, as the Pharisees talk about, and Mark kind of alludes greater to, was this oral tradition that was passed on over time, adding various cleansing rituals, the washing of hands and the eating of utensils, as Mark tells us to ensure a standard of holiness that went beyond the general aspects of the law. And these traditions, these rituals created, in addition to the law, these rituals created a heightened sense of holiness and therefore a heightened sense of a social map of those who really care about holiness and purity and those who either didn't really care or weren't trying hard enough, like possibly Jesus and his disciples right now. A social map of insiders and outsiders based on loads of rituals that one could observe. Now, we're not in the world of Pharisees and scribes and even in ancient Israel, so this can be a little bit hard for us to understand. But I'm sure we've all been in a certain experiences and moments where, to a degree, these things come from uh, in us and around us as well. For instance, have you ever been on the tee when it's full, jam-packed, right, so you can't find a seat, and so you go and you grab a pole of the tee, and as soon as you put your hand on that pole, 
you feel a certain warmth to it. A warmth like many other hands have been there before. And maybe even some moisture. And as you grab onto it and you're holding onto it because the tea is going and you can't let go, it's greasy. And inside right now, you are squirming, disgusted. And quite possibly, you're tempted while grabbing onto that pole to look around you and be like, who are these people that have infected this pole and now making me want to just go home and thoroughly wash my hands? And quite possibly, you may be tempted to think that you are going to increase the standards and rituals of how your experience on the tea goes from there on out. Maybe, at its worst, you say, I can't do that. I can't go there. And I'm sure there's always been those moments when you're in the city, and you're either at a tea stop, or on the bus, or on the tea, and homeless people are around you. And maybe they haven't been able to take a shower recently. And that does have an effect to us, right? There is a sense that we are not far from these rituals that separate that, those who really care and those who don't, and where we fall in that social map. It's not far from our experience of life. Jesus has something to say about this. You hypocrites, literally, you actors. And for good measure, he pulls in Isaiah the prophet, quoting chapter 29, verse 13 of Isaiah. Your lips, or he says this, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. Your lips are moving like you get it, but so clearly your heart's disposition is far off. Far off. The law in Israel's history and through Moses was given so that they might know God that they might know God, walk in his ways, be holy as he is holy, in order to be a light to the nations, the salt of the earth, to bring the nations into the worship of the one and only creator God and into his redemptive promises that he gave from the beginning to Abraham. This was what the law was for. But Jesus' point is that By focusing their judgments on these heightened rituals, they are not only confusing the purpose of the law, but they are misrepresenting the very hearts of God for which the law was pointing. For example, imagine a mailman or a male woman who has a heightened regard for the regulations and laws that protect your mail. To not tamper with your mail. That he or she drives to your street but determines that these regulations and laws and their heightened sense of them force them to keep an ardent watch on your mail. Thus, they cannot deliver it and leave it in a mailbox, but they have to take it back to the post office to keep watch over it. Right? That doesn't make any sense. That's silly, right? They would not be fulfilling their purpose to deliver your mail. And Israel, in a very similar way, is doing this. They are using the law, you could say, as an end in itself, a badge of honor 
for themselves. And these traditions are increasing that badge, you could say, for the Pharisees and the scribes. Not a means to humble themselves before God so that the nations might know him and worship him. Jesus presses this point even further by bringing up the tradition of Korban. Again, I'm sure you didn't wake up thinking, I can't wait to hear about Korban. A system, again, an oral tradition that was created, that was a system whereby one could make a vow to give his resources to the temple as a holy gift to God, rather than the ordinary use of it to care for mom and dad. Right back in ancient Israel, there's no social security, there's no health system. It's all about following the fifth commandment of the Torah, to love and honor your father and mother. And this, quite frankly, took a lot of details of resources, especially in their older age. But this tradition of Korban says, you can actually take that and say, this is going to be a holy gift to the temple. Sorry, mom and dad, but this is a holy gift now. And do you hear that language? Holy gift versus ordinary use. And what does Jesus have to say about this? That they themselves now, if the tradition of the elders are adding things to the law, this tradition is taking away from the clear commandment of God. They're adding and subtracting. On the one hand, they're not listening to Moses, the clear commandments of God in the law, and now they're turning away from the greater Moses, the shepherd of the sheep, Yahweh himself, in their presence. They're not listening to Moses. They're not seeing the greater Moses. Here to rescue and liberate Israel. Yahweh himself in their midst, fulfilling the promises for which Israel had long hoped. So we're left with this question still. What is the nature of holiness? If it's not these traditions or rituals, then how does one go and make themselves holy as God is holy? This is the question in which Jesus now turns his attention. For Jesus, in a very dramatic way, is redrawing holiness around himself. Jesus, throughout the Gospel of Mark, has been redrawing this social map of what is pure and impure by entering into those unclean places and making them clean. This topic of purity and holiness has not been specifically brought up in the Gospel of Mark until now, but it actually has been all over the place of this narrative by Jesus' actions. Ever since the beginning when he was baptized and the Holy Spirit descends down upon him and he proclaims that the, God, the kingdom of God is at hand, his life has been that proclamation, spirit-filled proclamation of going into unclean places and making them clean. Unclean individuals approaching him and him touching them and making them pure and clean. He's been casting out unclean spirits and healing people left and right. He has been proclaiming the kingdom of God and embodying it throughout his ministry. With his arrival, the kingdom of God has been breaking in and changing the landscape. Like, imagine of a volcano. From within, this volcano is erupting and spilling out over, over the existing landscape. But its power is so great that it changes the landscape. 
it changes the contours and the topography of the landscape around it. Thus, Jesus stepping onto the scene with the inbreaking of the kingdom is fulfilling the law itself, and in its fulfillment is spilling over and creating a new landscape. And there is newness to this, even though there is great continuity that Jesus, what Jesus is doing in the inbreaking of the kingdom. And the point is, to all this, if you want to be in that kingdom, in the renewal of the covenant, the liberation of Israel, the restoration of all creation, then your heart has to respond to God's work and God's presence in your midst through Jesus. He begins to tell them a parable in verse 15, reading, There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And then he goes on to explain further. It's quite simple, right? The food that you eat or don't eat, it's simply going into you, going into your stomach, and is expelled. Some will call this the parable of the loo. Uh, and it's quite simple. But it's drastic. Because Je- what Jesus is doing is saying, there's a greater problem here that needs to be dealt with, which food or ritual cleansings can't deal with. He's going to the deeper issue a fundamental reality, which is the problem. It's a matter of the heart. In verse 21, he says, For from within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. As Woody Allen famously stated in a moment of great honesty, the heart wants what it wants, and seemingly there's no stopping it. And Mark ends Jesus' teaching in his gospel there, almost in a way to say, sit there, pause. Let that tension build up. How does your heart respond to that? How do we respond to Jesus in this moment and in his teaching that it comes from within? It's not simply all that's out there. And there's a lot out there. But it starts here. It comes from within. How do we respond to this? Do our hearts respond with a posture of defensiveness? Do we not like this? And maybe the wall that we have built in our lives between our hearts and the rest of the world gets fortified and stronger and thicker? That mask that we wear gets tighter? Or do we respond with a posture of humility, allowing that wall to crumble before Jesus, taking our mask off and allowing him to enter in to the deepest recesses of our lives, the dark corners of our hearts that we know are there 
And quite possibly that wall has been up for so long that it's hard to even understand the depths of what's there. But if with humility we allow that wall to fall, we take off that mask and we allow Jesus to enter in, into those deep, deep corners of our hearts, he recreates, he transforms. Jesus tells another parable uh, in the Gospel of Luke, which I think is really helpful for us in this moment. In the Gospel of Luke, there's this parable in chapter 18 where Jesus says, two guys walk into the temple. One, a Pharisee, and another, a tax collector. And they walk into the temple to pray. And the, the Pharisee, and the body posture here is important, the, the language, the Pharisee is standing upright and saying, God, thank you that you did not make me like that tax collector. I do this and that and this. Thank you, God. And the tax collector, meanwhile, is bowing down. You can imagine him on his knees, beating his breast, saying, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. And Jesus says, who walks out of the temple justified, made right with God, in the people of God, in the world? It's that tax collector. Jesus longs for us to respond to him with a humility that lays down our lives, opening up our hearts that are, that's full of brokenness and evil desires and allowing him to enter in, to do a new work of transformation, for that is what our hearts desperately need. Ezekiel, the Old Testament text that we read earlier, among all the other prophets, was pointing to this moment when God would wash his people with his spirit and so recreate the heart that it would be like a brand new heart, a complete transfer of one that was like a stone to one that was alive and one that had the law itself, God's heart of holiness written on it. This moment of washing, this moment of regeneration, this moment of transformation. And this is that moment, Jesus is saying. Me before you and your heart. Will we respond with humility and opening our hearts up to allow Jesus to clean, wash, and make new? Jesus is here to recreate. Like a surgeon, he knows what to cut, what to extract, in order for healing to happen. A few final points about a heart of holiness that's written around Jesus, right? Holiness is written around Jesus. It's all about being with him, you could say, or in him. As the New Testament text we read earlier, Paul states in Colossians chapter 2 that this relationship of being in him, which is a really small phrase, but a profound one throughout the New Testament, that's all about being in him, Jesus, who is holy. Paul says, in him, who is Lord over all creation, we have been made whole. In him, our hearts have been circumcised by, not hands, but by Christ. In him, we have been baptized into his death. In him, we have been made alive to resurrection life through his resurrection. In him, we have been made alive who were once overcome by our evil hearts. 
In him, all the forces of evil and oppression have been rendered powerless. Being holy, being like God, is all about being in him. Now, we also must learn, like new infants, how to walk with him. How to walk and live this life of being in him. The old rituals, Mark is clear here through the uh, teachings of Jesus, the old rituals of food, washing, um, are done away with. But we can't get away from learning to walk without rituals. There is an aspect of right actions that form and shape our disposition and our heart's formation. And so it's more of a question of which actions take us to Jesus. Which action causes our gaze to be upon him and for our hearts to be open to him? Holiness is no longer about the food we do or don't consume, but it's about listening and consuming him. We need rituals that shape our way of life around Jesus' life. This is why we gather together every Sunday morning. Holiness is no longer about what we do or don't wear or how we wash ourselves, but it's about putting on him. Language of Paul also in the New Testament. Embodying, learning to embody his self-giving love for the world around us. But this life of being in him, a life of holiness, starts and continues. And please listen to that. For all of us who have been following Jesus for a while, it starts and continues by opening our hearts to him and confessing, Lord, have mercy upon me. This is why we pray at the beginning of every service, Almighty God, to you our hearts are open, to you all desires are known, no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ, through Christ and his work. We must open our hearts to him, revealing the dark corners of our hearts and of our lives, and lay our broken realities before him, humbly placing our lives in him. And the beautiful reality to this is that he hears the cries of the broken. He loves the cries of the needy. And he enters into unclean places to restore and to make well and to make right and to transform. The question is, will we live a life open to his work in us?